and He is our Savior, not, not just for eternity out there somewhere, not just the future when this life comes to an end. He is our Savior. He is our Shepherd. He is our King. He is our Lord right now in the midst of the mess. Some of the best hymns and most precious hymns are those that come from a person who has struggled and who has experienced incredible hardship and difficulty in their lives. And such a person was Annie Johnson Flint. She was born December 24th, Christmas Eve, in 1866. She died September the 8th, 1932. That's not that long ago, is it? <laughs> Her parents were Eldon and Jean Johnson, and Jean died when Annie was just three years old, giving birth to Annie's little sister. Annie's father, Mr. Johnson, also had an incurable disease, and he died not long after that. And the children, this is kind of interesting, were willed to the Flint family, longtime family friends of the Johnsons. I don't know that you can will children anymore, but uh, that's, I guess, how it was done then. And so when Annie was eight years old, growing up in uh, an adoptive or foster home, going to church in a local Baptist church there, when she was just eight years of age, she came to know Christ as her Savior. And all of her life, she really opposed the idea that little children cannot know Christ as their Savior. She was a tremendous advocate for presenting the Gospel to children and encouraging children to put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. She became a school teacher but in her second year of teaching, she began to experience the effects of arthritis. And I don't know, I don't know if the doctors knew what kind of arthritis it was, but it was the kind that really debilitated her. And she eventually had to give up teaching. She spent several years bedfast. Eventually she was able to get up and to move a little bit, but her life was filled with pain and misery and suffering. She had always enjoyed poetry, and she began to write poems. Well, even as a child, she would write poems, but in, in her circumstance, she began to write poems and use those poems as a means of expressing herself and her faith and of encouraging other people. She would take some of those poems and she would illustrate them. Kind of like Johnny Erickson Tata did when she was first injured. You know, in the first years of her life, she, and she still is to this day, quite an artist. But she would take that pen, whether it was black and white, an ink drawing, or whether it was a colored drawing, but she would take that in her mouth and she would move her head and her mouth, and she made incredible drawings. Maybe you remember seeing some of those 
those uh, cards that she would produce. Well, Annie Johnson Flint was doing something very similar, although she had to hold the pen in her gnarled and distorted hand because of the effects of the arthritis that were overwhelming her. One of the poems that she wrote, and I just want to uh, read it here for you. This is not the one we're going to look at, but it's another one. It says, God hath not promised skies always blue. Did you ever hear that poem? Or it's actually been set to music. She says, God has not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. Verse 2 says, God has not promised we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He has not told us we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. The third verse says, God has not promised smooth roads and wide, swift, easy travel needing no guide, never a mountain rocky and steep, never a river turbid and deep. And if you stopped there, you might think, well, what in the world has God promised? What, what is the hope of the Christian? And here it is in the fourth verse, which actually became the refrain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing kindness, undying love. And such were many of the poems that Annie, Flint, or Annie Johnson Flint wrote during the course of her lifetime. And she lived it day by day by day. Just as Oleg and Audra and so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ there in the Ukraine have to get their eyes off of the world that's crumbling around them and fix them on Christ for hope and for strength. The song that we want to look at this morning, the, the theology behind the hymns there in your hymnal, is He giveth more grace. Look at the first verse that's written there. And by the way, this song has another verse that's not included in our hymnal. But we're going to look at that one today too. It says, He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, He addeth His mercy. To multiplied trials, He multiplies peace. What about grace? Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. I think one of the greatest gifts of grace, one of the greatest aspects of that, is Christ Himself with us in the moments of our trial. I'm reminded of Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is not one who stands off to the side and 
who just looks on as we go through trials. And it doesn't matter what the trial is, whether, whether it's something we might look at and say, well, that's just a small thing. Or we might look at and say, oh my goodness, that's a huge thing. God is with us in all of them. Because whatever the trial is, if it's yours, it's yours, isn't it? It's your life. It's your trial. It may not be someone else's, but it's yours. And God is with us a very present help. We need help, don't we? We can't handle it on our own. We would be quickly overwhelmed with the problems of life if we had to rely on our own strength. But God is there as our help. And He is the one who is able to provide whatever it is that we need. Whatever it is. A very present help in trouble. He gives more grace. More grace. More of His presence. More of His help. When our burdens grow greater says there, to added afflictions, he adds his mercy. What in the world is mercy? Well, mercy is defined as not receiving what we deserve. He withholds from us the full weight of the judgment of God against sin. For those of us who are believers in Christ, he has withheld that full weight by transferring it to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has borne the full weight of the, the consequences of our sin. He has borne in Himself the just wrath of Almighty God. But when the burdens in this life grow greater, sometimes we take small solace in saying, well, it could always be more difficult, it could always be harder, couldn't it? <laughs> That's, that's really kind of an empty encouragement. Oh yes, it could be worse. It could be harder. But it's God's mercy that prevents it from being so. It could be tougher. But God's mercy extends to us because He knows. He knows that in the trial which He is bringing and allowing into our lives, He knows what He's going to accomplish in it. We don't have a clue. We don't have a clue. But God knows. And in the midst of that trial, He in His mercy withholds the full weight of what could be because He knows that we are just dust. He knows the weakness of our frame. He knows what we can handle and what we can't. Sometimes people have said, well, God never gives you more than you can handle. I think that's bad theology. God never gives us more than what we can handle through Him. If we leave Him out of the equation, we're left on our own. 
God gives us, He grants us, He permits us what we can handle with Him. And when we turn to Him, when we seek His face, when we call upon Him, then by His Spirit we are enabled to go forward, experiencing His grace and experiencing His mercy. But if for one moment we try to do it on our own, we're going to fall flat on our faces and we're going to be crushed under the weight. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. To added afflictions, He addeth His mercy. The last part of that first verse, to multiplied trials, He multiplies peace. In John chapter 14, as Jesus was talking to His disciples there in the upper room, He knew everything that was about to happen. Nothing was hidden from our Lord's knowledge and view. He had already told them that He was going to go up to Jerusalem and He was going to be horribly treated by the religious leaders and that He was going to be crucified, that He was going to die, that He was going to rise again. And it, it was kind of like it bounced right off. They didn't quite get it. But Jesus kept working, kept teaching, kept explaining to them. And here, just before they're about ready to get up from that upper room and go out into the night to work their way across the Kidron Valley over into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would pray, He tells them again, John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not like the world gives to you do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. The peace that God gives us is not merely the cessation of violence and turmoil. The peace that God gives us extends to our very soul and, and supersedes all of the circumstances around us. It is that shalom that the Old Testament talks about. It is that wholeness and wellness of soul that can exist only between one who is in a right relationship with God the Creator. And it is a peace it is a bond, it is a shalom, it is a, a wellness that cannot be broken by any external circumstance. It is the peace of God. Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 4. He says, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts, that's your emotions, and your minds, that's your intellect, in Christ Jesus. That's the peace in the midst of everything that God offers to us and provides for us. 
Look at verse 2. We're thinking about the theology behind the hymns. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll pick it up in verse 7. Annie Johnson Flint writes this in her poem. She says, When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. The book of Proverbs tells us that it's wise to plan ahead for the future and you know, it talks about that on various occasions. And, and, and we are. God does expect us to use the minds that He has given us and, and to foresee what could be coming and to, to make some preparations. But our preparations can only be small. Our very best preparations will never, ever, ever be enough. The circumstances of life that come at us we cannot ever fully anticipate. We cannot ever fully prepare for. So, when we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength is failing, and, and the task is not over, the day is not done, there's more ahead of us. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. The Apostle Paul, I think, understood that a little bit. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 7, he says this, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted among, above measure. Now concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. I man, I'm right there with Paul. Something bad happens in my life, what's the first word out of my mouth? God, help me, save me, rescue me, get me out of this mess. Right? Isn't that what we say? Isn't that the cry of our heart? Absolutely. But Paul had a lesson to learn. Verse 9, And he, that's the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect, complete, whole. The idea there is that it reaches the goal. It's made perfect, complete in weakness, not in God's weakness, not in Christ's weakness at all. No, no. In ours. You know what the tendency is for all of us? When we plan and prepare and do something well and it works well and it meets our expectations or goes better than we thought, our, our tendency is to take the credit, isn't it? I did that. I'm pretty good. <laughs> we, we want to take the credit for ourselves. So God in His incredible wisdom, God who alone is worthy of praise and glory, has designed this life so that you and I 
have built in weaknesses. We have God-designed areas in which we lack. We are not whole and complete in this world. We need Him, absolutely. And God has designed us as a body. And every part of the body needs every other part of the body. And when we cut ourselves off from the body, we cut ourselves off from the resource that God has designed to provide for us what we need in the midst of our crisis. Paul says, Therefore, verse 9, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. James said it in chapter 1, Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse temptations and trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith works patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete, whole, and entire, lacking nothing. When, when we find ourselves in the midst of the crisis, when the burden grows greater, when our strength is all gone, when all of our hoarded resources are exhausted, and we're standing there and we're saying, God, help! He will bring help. He will be our help. He will strengthen us. He will provide for us. And He will do it in such a way that it's for our benefit and for His glory. So that we can't take the glory ourselves. God never called us to be our own saviors, did He? He called us to come to Jesus Christ who is our Savior. And He is our Savior not, not just for eternity out there somewhere. Not just the future when this life comes to an end. He is our Savior. He is our Shepherd. He is our King. He is our Lord right now in the midst of the mess. And beloved, if we can't trust Him for what we can see, we're fools to trust Him for what we can't see. Because how would we know? So God gives us little bits here and there in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our hardships and heartbreaks. God gives us evidences of His presence and His work in our lives and His concern, and His care, and His love for us. So that knowing these things here, experiencing His hope and presence here, we can have even greater assurance of that unseen future that's promised to us in the pages of Scripture. Now there's another verse that we don't have in our hymnal kind of wish we did it says fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision 
Our God ever yearns His resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. Turn to Luke chapter 12 for just a minute and see the theology behind that verse. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 12. Starting at verse 22. Jesus is a master of taking the simplest things in life and pointing us to those and teaching us something from them. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. See, God knows that. He already knows it. He knows. Keep reading. Consider the ravens. For they neither sow, in other words, they don't plant seeds, nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn. They don't have big uh, you know, silage pits or anything like that. They don't have resources. They don't run to the bank when they need to go grocery shopping. They, they, just, they don't have any of those things. And God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon, on all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then. So, so this is, Jesus is helping us to use good logic. Alright? He's inviting us to look at the world, the created world around us. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at the fields. Look at the rain. Look at all the stuff that God is doing. He's feeding the birds. You're worth more than a bird. Not according to evolutionary science. Okay? But... Evolutionary science is no science at all. It's a false philosophy of life. And in that philosophy, you're no more important than any other animal on the face of the planet. But in the book, in God's book, you are of inestimable value because you are created in the image of God. You stand infinitely above the rest of the created world. If God then so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink or have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. Circle this next verse, verse 32. Underline it. Put an arrow beside it. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Annie Johnson Flint writes, Fear not that thy need shall exceed His provision. 
He's the king with a kingdom, and he's going to give it to us. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. In other words, it, it, it does what it's supposed to be doing for us. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. Now, verse 4 of her poem was actually turned into the chorus. This is the fourth verse of her poem, but it got set as a chorus, and I love it. I, I think that's a great place for it to be. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus. He brings us right back to grace, doesn't it? Out of His infinite riches in Jesus. Jesus who died on the cross, who bore our sins, who satisfied the just wrath of God against sinful humanity, who rose from the dead, and who gives everlasting life to all who come to Him. Out of His infinite riches in Jesus, God the Father gives and gives and gives again. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? In the previous verses, the Apostle Paul was quoting from the Old Testament. It says we're like sheep who are, are, are destined for slaughter. You know, the world doesn't understand us as Christians. The world hates us. They'd like to get rid of us. Stamp us out. Be done with us. And, and it's not, I mean, it's nothing personal. It's not us. <laughs> it's God they hate. They can't get at Him. So they come against those who represent Him. They don't want God. If God, though, is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him? All right, He's, he's raised Christ from the dead. He's seated at God's right hand. He's prepared a kingdom. Jesus Christ is coming back to receive His kingdom and to establish His kingdom. So if all that is true, how shall He, that's the Father, not with Him, that's Christ, also freely give us all things? All things. His presence being the greatest thing. Himself being the greatest gift. Beloved, we are never going to be able to avoid problems in this life. Whether they're just on the personal level, maybe it's sickness and disease, maybe it's loss of a loved one, maybe it's the loss of a job, or whether it's on the national scale as our dear brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing Ukraine. Wherever Wherever we are on that spectrum, God is there. None of it is too big for Him to handle or too small for Him to notice. 
and we can trust Him. He giveth more grace. He sendeth more strength. He adds more mercy because He loves us through His Son. Beloved, I pray that that is a hymn, and we're going to sing it in just a moment. I pray that that hymn will just resonate in your heart and that these verses of Scripture that I think were the foundation of that hymn in Annie Johnson Flint's mind, that those passages of Scripture will sink deeply into your soul and form a bedrock of confidence. Because when the storm breaks, we will need that bedrock. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. First and foremost for Your Word, Lord, because it teaches us the truth of life. It teaches us the truth about You and about ourselves. And Father, You have, you have provided incredible, precious promises in Your Word for those who know Christ. We thank You, Father, that You work in such a way in this world that You open blinded eyes and darkened hearts and You call men, women, and children to Yourself. You seek the lost, as Jesus said when He was here on this earth, that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Because, Father, we were lost. And maybe there's somebody here right now who knows deep in their own heart that they are lost. And that these things that they've heard this morning are not a part of their lives. Oh God, may they turn to You in simple faith and cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because You will. You will take that repentant soul and You will transform them and You will save them and You will make them Your child and You will be with them all the days of their lives on this earth and we will then be with You forever in the new heavens and new earth which You're going to create. So Father, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Christ, may they not go from this place without putting their trust in Him. And Father, for all of us, as we face the trials of life, whatever they be, help us to see that You are right there with us in them, giving us more grace, more mercy, more peace, more of Your presence, that You are able to handle everything oh how we thank you oh how we love you and we pray it in christ's name amen